Hey, happy Tuesday and welcome back to season four of the Coaching Minds podcast. As you remember this season, we are covering the complete program. We want to help you make 2021 the best year yet for you, your team, and your family. And today we're going to dive into unshakable teams. Welcome to the Coaching Minds podcast, helping you overcome obstacles so you can reach and achieve more. Here are your hosts, Ben and Zeke. All right, Ben, so give us uh, a quick review of what season four of the complete program is going to look like. Yeah, it kind of came from a question that we were asked, if you were going to put together a complete program for your team, what would you be sure to focus on? And I thought that was a really great question. So our mental performance complete program is built on six categories for every team and then, you know, some specialization from there. But that's sort of where it all started. All right, so we have uh, six categories uh, that we're going through. Go back and review real fast what we went through in episode one. Yep, foundation of program success is character. Is your team made up of the type of people who can help your team reach their full potential? And step one was identifying character traits that your team needs. John Wooden had his pyramid of success. Jim Trestle had his Big Ten. Brett Ledbetter had a list from coaches across the country. These are the character traits that our guys or our girls need for our team to be at their best. And step two is to teach your players or coaches what those actually mean. Right. We're trying to avoid coach talk, which is, you know, you go to a clinic and you talk to other coaches and you say all these neat, fancy things. But we got to make sure that all of our players and coaches and staff have the same working definition for these. Step three is identifying weaknesses in your players. Whether that's the head coach, whether that's you know on a larger team position coaches, or that's some kind of self-assessment, there needs to be, hey, here's weaknesses or here's areas for improvement. And step four is of those weaknesses, give your athletes a plan to actually improve them. Yep. So like if it's hard working, you know, when is it most difficult to work hard? Well, on the on the last sprint at workouts. Okay, well, my my goal is gonna be next Tuesday at workouts, I'm gonna go as hard as I can on every single sprint. And you have those uh, those plans and step five is putting it all together and holding them accountable to those results. Yep. And, you know, whether that's checking in with coaches, checking in with an accountability partner, checking in with the off-season team, that's that fifth step. Make sure this is not one and done. So now that's just a quick rundown of uh, what the first episode was about. Now what we're getting into today is the second component of the complete program, which is building unshakable teams. Benny, tell us some more about that. You know, the, the way we do things here on the podcast, we want to start with number one, what does the science or the data show? Because we're not experts. We're not sports psychologists. I don't have access to a functional MRI machine, but we're coaches. And so our job is to take this information and then present it to our players and help them improve. So after we talk about kind of the science or the research behind this, number two, how can we use that information to make a plan? And then everyone should know that last step. How can we follow through? How can we put that plan to work? So what's that look like with uh, like the research for team building? We've all been parts of like you do these little things to get each other to work better. You move this guy with this guy so that they'll work better as a teammate. Uh, there's There has to be tons of money being made off maximizing teamwork in businesses world, right? For sure. Carnegie Mellon, MIT, and Union College set out to identify what is it that makes teams work together to accomplish tasks at a higher level or to perform at a higher level. And they came up with group dynamics or collective intelligence, and that that's what best determines 
future effectiveness. And that's just a fancy way of saying, do you have social sensitivity? They called it, which is just when you're interacting with other people, you're aware of how you're interacting. You're not overly powerful um, and not letting anybody else talk, but you also don't just sit there and not say anything. And then also conversation turn-taking, which I I thought was really interesting. We're going to get into a little bit more research about that here in just a minute. So even in the sports world, we've seen this where it's not everything's not perfect. Uh, there's right. times when things don't go well. Sure. Uh, but are are you as a teammate? Can you love or as a team? Can you love your team um, unconditionally? But then still, when things go bad, you can you can still call each other out, but know it's for the betterment of the team and the program. For sure, was watching a video clip of uh, Peyton Manning and Jeff Saturday getting into each other, and I mean Peyton got up and was screaming in his face, "You do your job, I'll take care of my job." And Jeff Saturday's going, "Well, maybe when we get down in the red zone, we should run the ball." It is a uh, it is a audio clip to one of the radio stations around here that comes on every day and it's phenomenal that conversation <laughs> back and forth. Really, I I have not heard yeah. that. That's outstanding. Um, reminds me too of, of like Nick Ferrer and Zane Bertrand who we coached, and there were times where one of them didn't do something that they should have, and the other wasn't afraid to yell and get in their ear and say, "Hey, this isn't acceptable." They were holding each other to that standard, but the key there is that there's psychological safety is kind of the the fancy psychology word for that. And Google actually conducted their own research on this because obviously it's, it's in their benefit for their teams to work together as well as possible so they can make as much money as possible. And so what they found was that the amount of psychological safety determines the amount of success within a team. Basically, do you feel comfortable speaking up because at the end of the day, you can trust the people on your team. Are, are you are you able to speak the truth, but do it in love and speak the truth, but do it in a way that you know people aren't going to just curl up in a ball. You can have constructive criticism and then you can move on. And, and I love the, the video clip after the next drive with Peyton Manning and Jeff Saturday. They went over and they gave each other a hug. And one of them said, I love you, man. Let's get this. And the other one kind of mumbled something and smacked him on the butt. But I mean, they knew deep down that, yeah, they could get on each other because they were working together because there was that trust. And just like in that example you shared there, there's more to it, right? It's not just a verbal conversation. What is it like? For sure. 80% of our communication is nonverbal. So, what does that look like without using words? I, I love that. The next study I want to get into was done by MIT's Human Dynamics Laboratory. And they kind of, they said that they could notice a buzz in a team that, that kind of was able to work well together. And we've all been around that team where the, the guys or the girls just, they get along and, and you can tell things are clicking, things are meshing and, and what they wanted to do, because that's not really quantifiable. You can't just go into Google and say, well, I think that your team's really clicking or I don't really think that there's that buzz. And so what they did was they developed these sensors that you wear and they look just like an ID badge. And they measured everything from eye contact to head nodding 
to who was talking, when they were talking, how often did they talk, did they interrupt people, did they let other people talk, and what they found out was that this was a huge predictor of team success. And one of the one of the things that they noticed on high performing teams was that there was usually a leader or someone who was the more dominant and talking the most in the conversation, but then there were also people who were involved, but I think most importantly everyone had interaction with each other. I, I feel like I've seen this uh, just recently in, with the NBA in the bubble and with the Miami Heat. They weren't, they weren't these like unreal basketball players, but they all just, you could tell they gelled together and they played to, uh, together very, very well. And Jimmy Butler was kind of that guy, but they all still, they weren't, afraid, they didn't walk on eggshells around him. They trusted him. He trusted everybody else. And you could see they, they, Oh, outperformed what they probably should have been. Yeah. In this study, they looked at, were they able to communicate with only one other team member? Did they face other people in the meetings or did they tend to kind of shy away from the group physically? Did they speak loudly enough for other people to hear them? Um, and, and it was, it was just amazing that they, they started to come up with quantifiable numbers and they said that there were three predictors of success. And the first one was energy. And those high-performing groups, there was energy. When someone came into the room and started talking to other people, there was excitement and there was energy and voice inflection changed and movement changed and head nodding changed and turning and facing the person changed. And they said that the, the most valuable form of communication was always face-to-face. -face. The next most valuable was by phone or by video conference, but... With those technologies, they became less effective as more people participated in the call or in the conference call or the video chat. And this was done, obviously, long before the Zoom phenomenon that we, we all faced in 2020. I feel like thinking of the opposite of that, that meeting and the energy, walking in, and it's very monotone for that meeting or whatever it might be. And it just sounds bad. It yeah. just, I mean, just, it sounds like it just suck the joy of being there together. Yeah. We're on this other side, man, you, you know, like you said, eye to eye contact, voice inflection, all of that stuff. It's going to make it much, much better. For sure. And the, the last part they found out about energy was that email and texting were the low, were the worst performing type of communication. And so, you know, not, not anything new, but it was interesting because this is the first study that made it quantifiable where they could say, here was your company's energy score. The second one was engagement. And that was, that was kind of the between person A and person B and between person A and person C and between person B and person C, there was kind of that equal reasonably high energy level with all the other members. And it wasn't just, I, I have high energy with my friend or I have high energy with this person that I spend all my time with, but it's, I had that high energy with everyone on my team and that teams that had kind of clusters of members who engage with high energy communication with each other, they didn't perform as well, which we know as coaches, we know if our team is made up of a bunch of clicks that it's not going to perform as well. But now to be able to say, look at this quantifiable data, hey, this company were, would have gotten this engagement score. What would our engagement score be? 
And then the third and final one was what they called exploration and that it wasn't just you were with your team and you were in this little hole and you never left and you never went outside of it. What they found was that teams that interacted with other groups and with other teams and went outside of their little bubble and then came back to sort of share the results with their team they also performed a lot higher. And, you know, I think we heard that when, when Nick Ferrer was on in season two, when he talked about having to get away from the football team a little bit and get away from the football program a little bit and sort of recharge his batteries and, you know, be around his, his friends group or his family group or whatever that was, and then come back. And then that gave him sort of that extra added motivation or that boost. But now to be able to say quantifiably, here is the number or here is the score that your team members get out and interact with other people or with other groups or other individuals outside of their little team sphere is a determinant of success. Like that's that that was very interesting to me also. All right. So for probably about half of our uh, listeners that they all get all giddy when you throw out all this research and you use terms like MIT and all these cool things. But for the other half, we're like, are oh, we just want we want the information. Like, how can I get my team better? Uh, what's the plan? What do we What do we need to do to take back to our teams to make them better? Love it. Step one: define it, prove it, show it. So somehow you've got to generate buy-in. Somehow you've got to get your team members to realize that being a team and a cohesive group is going to help all of them, and that you're not going to perform at your highest level without that. So, bring in former players to talk to the team show videos where, you know, team guys are talking about interacting with other guys on the team or, you know, girls are talking about what the experience was like with that family. There's a whole bunch of examples with military stories about how, you know, this guy was willing to die for his brothers because of the shared experiences that they had and what that allowed them to do, you know, looking at successful teams or presenting this research. You know, obviously there's a limit at some point if you're presenting to a bunch of high schoolers and you're talking about scientific data, their eyes are going to roll into the back of their head at some point. But if they can understand, hey, this is quantifiable and hey, this is meaningful and you can present it in a way that's engaging and you can present it in a way where they say, yeah, we need to do that. Now we can start generating buy-in. That's the first step. I think I think back to some teams that I've played on and how we developed greater um, relationships. Like when we were, when I was in college, it was kind of like a home visit. I would go home, like one weekend in the off season, go home with one of my teammates and just see what his life was about, like where he grew up. And that just brought us even tighter. Um, yeah. another, another college team, I know that they, they try to pick a basketball team, they try to pick up every year a road game in that. Uh, seniors hometown so everyone goes there to see that and again it just it's kind of like these success stories of like bringing everybody together uh so then what's number what's number two so just like just like what we talked about in episode one with the dependable character let's evaluate either the team as a whole or evaluate individuals and brett ledbetter uh we talked about a little bit last week had a list that he put together from college coaches that had unselfish Honest, respectful, appreciative, humble, loyal, trustworthy, encouraging, socially aware, and caring. And if you're, if I'm doing this with an individual, 
we'll sort of go through and we'll talk about, all right, what, what is unselfish? What's that look like in your sport? Why is that important to the team? Or if I'm doing this activity with an entire team, you know, just ask somebody, Hey, what's it mean to be appreciative or trustworthy? And why is that important? And, and kind of help them, help them figure out, you know, I, I think if I improved in this area, that would help me out a little bit. Or, or maybe it's just in your end of the season meeting with an individual, you ask them, which one of these could you improve in? Or maybe it stands out, Hey, we need you to be a little bit more trustworthy or a little bit more socially aware in this situation. The best thing you could do for with a coach, I think, is bring someone outside the program in and just observe your team. Because yeah. if you try to do it as a coach, you're going to have biases towards some different things. Bring in a friend, a family member, someone that knows nothing about your sport, doesn't matter, and just say, hey, what do you notice about our team? Give them maybe that list. Um, what do you notice about these things uh, from our team? Do any of them stick out? That's an uh, that is an awesome recommendation. And then, so now step three, let's do something about it. So you know, if if it was if it was easy for you to notice, hey, you know, I, I don't really think that these guys are necessarily being respectful when they're talking to each other. Well, let's help them set a goal. Let's help them set a a specific, measurable, achieve You know, the whole smart goal that we've already talked about. I am going to do this in this setting or to these people by this date or next Tuesday. I'm going to be more appreciative of so-and-so and, and give them a way that they can see these are things that we can improve. That that was the big takeaway from all the research that was gathered. It was once you identify, here's how well your team is doing kind of together. Here's your team score, I guess you could say. Then the next step was always, okay, well, let's start improving that. And this is just as important as the X's and O's you're going through in the off season. You have to commit to it, dive into it. And, and really commit yourself as a team to grow and to get better. And then what do we have? What's the fourth one, Ben? Creating situations where players can work together to solve problems or to uh, overcome challenges, to, to build up that trust. And, you know, I've, I've been with teams before where we did Friday challenges where they had to, you know, somebody had to hold a, a log over top of their team, had to hold a log over top of their head, and then somebody had to pick up a weight and run a certain distance and come back. You know, those type of kind of challenges that are difficult and they're, there's a, you know, a little bit of teamwork to it and there's some competitiveness to it or some type of crucible event where, you know, everybody who's going to be a part of this team has to go through this very difficult, very demanding challenge. Uh, was forwarded an article about uh, North Carolina State from my father, actually. And basically the, the start of the article explained these two days that a military guy came in and basically said, Here's how we're going to do things. Here's what it means to be disciplined and, and put them through a very, very militaristic kind of almost boot camp training where they were doing all these difficult tasks that none of them could do on their own. It was physically demanding. It was psychologically demanding. But by the end of it, they started to realize, hey, we can achieve some pretty unbelievable and some pretty difficult things if we do it together. And 
I'm just I'm just going to read a, a, an excerpt from that article. They said that confidence is why when nationally ranked Liberty was driving into NC State territory on November 21st with the Wolfpack up a point, there wasn't a worry anywhere. The team knew that someone would make a play. It happened to be Jones who blocked a field goal attempt by the Flames with a minute 18 remaining. NC State football players had built so much trust in each other during those two days in February, discovering how to stand tall during adversity, that they always knew they would find a way to execute on the field. The product on the field was better in 2020 because the team overcame shared adversity for 48 hours in February. And, you know, their, their coach went on to talk about how they, they probably wouldn't have had the season that they did without that hard, difficult challenge. And finally, the, the uh, last one we have, what has that been? We got to hold them accountable to improvement. You know, coach, coach Dullahan back all the way back in season two, episode five said, you get what you emphasize. If you're going to emphasize accountability and you're going to emphasize developing your character and developing who you are and developing how you treat your teammates and developing that trustworthiness that that's what you're going to get. And so whether that's checking in with accountability partners, whether that's having team discussion, you know, at the end of workouts, Hey, who's seen, who saw somebody be respectful or honest or trustworthy or, or whatever? Um, you know, whether that's pointing out players who exhibit growth, this can't be a one and done. This can't be a, we talk about it one time in February and then it's going to somehow impact our team for the rest of the year. Now, like in the NC State example, if it's something like that where your team goes through it and it's hard and it's difficult and you build trust and then you continue to reference that throughout the entire season and you keep it fresh in their mind and it's something that they can hang their hat on, that's a little bit different. But we just we got to hold our guys accountable to improving in this area. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave us a review, um, share with a friend, post it on your um, social media accounts. Um, we appreciate it. And if you'd like some additional help, how how am I going to put together this plan? Here's my team. How do we do it during this pandemic to get everyone together? Um, what does that look like? Please reach out to us. We can help you out at mentaltrainingplan.com or just hit us up on social media at mentaltrplan. And until next time, make your plan and put it to work.